I'm Jessica Abel, and we're going Out on the Wire, the show about making stories step by step. I've been making comics for 25 years. I'm probably best known for my graphic novel, La Perdida, and for my two textbooks about making comics, drawing words and writing pictures, and mastering comics. I'm currently working on a series called Trish Trash, Roller Girl of Mars, which is about roller derby on Mars. For my new book, Out on the Wire, the storytelling secrets of the new masters of radio, which is available right now, by the way, I spent the last three years interviewing the best storytellers on the radio and learning how they craft their work. Because I wanted to know how they do what they do. And more than that, why? What drives them? A while ago, I was interviewing Ira Glass over Skype, and I asked him what motivates him to tell stories. And what he said surprised me. I'm interested in making stuff that's amusing to me. It surprised me because I was like, really? That's it? But then he kept going. And I want it to be a thing where, where it pulls you in and then you can't not listen to it. If you hear minute one, you can't turn off and miss minute two. That's what's so interesting to me. That's like going into casino. That's like trying to sell a car. That's like trying to like ride a, a bucking bronco, I say, as someone who would never do any of those things, <laughs> except for the casino one. You, know, you have these people who are going to be your interviewees and you want to turn them into this thing that's going to be a product and it's, you want it to be incredibly special and magnetic. That's the thing that seems so captivating. That's what I think about. What's Ira saying? Yeah, you want to do stuff you'll enjoy doing for sure. But when Ira's like, I just want to do stuff that's amusing to me, it seems like he's saying he just wants to have fun when he works. But no, he goes on to make clear that making his stories as good as they are feels like walking a tightrope. It's risky. It's brave. Because what he wants is to make the most gripping, compelling, take you by the throat and not let you go entertainment out of an actual person's story that's possible. He wants to take us by the ears, grab us, and not let us go. He wants to do stuff that makes him the king of radio, which is what we all want. Aim high, and the danger is you've got further to fall. But if you don't risk falling, you're sure to come up short. Way back in month one of the project, week one actually, I was interviewing Jay Allison, the producer of the Moth Radio Hour. The name of my book and of this show was inspired by something he said to me about the storytellers on the Moth, about what it takes to tell a great story. When they stand up there, if they don't get out on that wire, well out on the center of that wire and it's bouncing and they're, if they're just walking across the floor, people don't listen. People won't listen. Did you get it? Me, I want to grab you by the eyeballs. I want readers who are like, oh my God, I cannot put this down. This is amazing. But the only way I'll do that is if I get way out on that wire and it's bouncing. If I don't commit, why should my reader? And so here I am, way out on this wire with this show, which is a super new and super scary thing to try to do. Way back in December, I was sitting in my studio, hunched over my drawing table, thinking about my next step. How am I going to get out of, it's funny, I want to say rut. I'm a successful, accomplished cartoonist. It's not a rut. 
It's a life choice. In some ways, I've reached the logical end of the life goals I set for myself when I was 21 or whatever. I just couldn't imagine beyond getting to where I am now. And somehow I thought that when I got to where I am now, everything would be what I wanted it to be. And it's not. And I'm 44 years old. Uh, No, wait, I turned 45. (laughs) I'm 45 years old. It's time to do something different. Well, this is different, all right. I'm playing the same game these masters are playing, but taking creative risks is what it's all about. The producers in Out on the Wire are not in radio or podcasting to chit-chat, to meet people, or to build their platform. They're trying to make the most powerful, compelling stories possible, bar none. I wanted to get the details. What gets them up in the morning? What are they thinking about? Because in some ways, I want to know what makes me get up in the morning. Why do I keep doing this stupid job? What keeps me in my studio for three years, looking out the window at the river down there below, instead of sitting on the bank eating cheese and grapes? I admit, when I talk to others about telling stories, I'm always thinking about how it applies to me, to my own process. And I expect no less from you, my friends. You're thinking about how this relates to you, to your secret story ambitions. And that is A-OK. Think about yourself. Cool. This story needs to be told. Oh my God, I can't tell this story. Do you feel that way? You are among friends here. The show will often appear to be about making radio and podcasts. And sometimes it will sound like a show about making comics, but it's not. This is a show about storytelling. What's underneath all those stories? How do they function? How can we make better ones? Stories do not and should not all have the same structure, and some aspects of storytelling are medium-specific. But there's a set of tools and techniques that will build and move stories that is universal. You may have no interest in making audio stories. That's okay. I used, I am using, these same principles to write my documentary comic, Out on the Wire, and to write my very fictional comic, Trish Trash, Roller Girl of Mars. Take me as proof that this stuff works. This is not a show about radio. Radio people do this stuff super awesome, and so we're going to talk to a bunch of them. But the show is about story. And my book is about story. It's right there in the title, Storytelling Secrets. In researching my book, I recorded hours and hours of interviews with master storytellers, interviews no one has ever heard until now. In fact, I made these tapes with the idea that no one but me would ever need to hear them. And sometimes that's evident in the audio quality. Lesson learned. You just never know when you're going to want to turn your research into a radio show. So learn how to record good tape, kids. I'll be bringing you lost treasures from my Out on the Wire interviews with people like Ira and Jay, as well as star producers from shows like Radiolab, Snap Judgment, Radio Diaries, and Planet Money. We'll hear what they have to teach us, and we'll learn how to build a narrative together. At the end of this episode, we'll be talking to new master of radio Stephanie Fu of This American Life to get her story on making stories. And we've got a narrative-making challenge that will put you on the road to making something great. But more on that later. 
Out on the Wire. It's about taking risks, putting it all on the line, opening yourself up to the world, telling your story. Come on, let's get out on that wire. This is episode one, Eureka. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. There are things that come down to technique, which is, you know, how to make a structure and how to focus a story. But one of the things that doesn't get talked a lot about is so much of what makes something good is just your taste, enforcing your taste and noticing what your taste is and noticing what you really love and what you only kind of like. To be successful, you have to have interesting taste. When Ira first said this to me, you have to have good taste, I was like, taste? What? What is he talking about, taste? That sounds so weird and elitist. But I thought about it a lot. And this is what I think he means. Pay attention to your attention. Pay attention to what you feel connected to. That's your taste. When I first started writing this episode, I was in my studio with my producer, Ben, and he played me a piece of tape you heard earlier. It's funny, I want to say rut. I'm a successful, accomplished perfectionist. It's not a rut. It's a life choice. And he was like... That is such a good piece of tape. <laughs> like, um, because... Okay. I'm like, hmm, okay, I can see that. He has a different ear from me. Taste is about what captivates you, which of course gets straight back to the idea that you should work to amuse yourself, like Ira said earlier. Amuse yourself and you'll realize you're following your taste. What will keep you going for however long it takes to get through it? I've got a funny story about how I managed to amuse myself. A few years ago, actually quite a few, it was in December 2006, I was working on my textbook about how to make comics, drawing words and writing pictures. I collaborated on it with Matt Madden, my husband and fellow cartoonist, and we were working on a chapter about how to create characters. There's an activity in there we'd done many times in our classes where you randomly choose a physical characteristic, a job, and an emotional characteristic, and you put them together and you build a character out of it. It's really funny and fun, and it demonstrates definitively the power of juxtaposition. Just put those non-aligned things together and your mind starts working. I can't tell you how many students have gotten bizarre combos like melancholy jockey who wears colored contacts and then gone on to actually love those characters and use them in stories. Anyway, I had Matt give me those keywords for two characters so I could draw some illustrations for the book. Here are the prompts Matt gave me. Cheerful. Spiked collar. X Games. Worrywart. Wears a skirt. Tour guide. And I came up with a roller girl and a seven-legged Martian. The second part of the assignment is to put the characters together into a scenario and build a story structure. So I gamely put Trish Trash, my roller girl, on Mars and invented a wacky caper plot involving a stolen suitcase and then drew another illustration to suggest that storyline. It was just an example for our textbook. I wasn't trying to come up with anything deep. But days later, I still felt myself drawn to the idea. And on Christmas Day 2006, I jotted down a few notes. Roller derby is the biggest Earth sport. Mars is the farm league. It's not competitive. Bad roads, too many rocks, dust, wind. Martians use wheels. Very uncool. All right, a farm machine breaks down, and she gets this hollow image asking for help. And she has to find an old Martian. Yeah, okay, so she gathers a girl gang in high school and has, like, all these sidekicks, like old Wonder Woman from the 40s. That's just goofy clearly riffing on Star Wars and the silly illustration I'd done for the book. Immigration problems? All brown kids. 
political strife, maybe? Blonde birth teams. Which is where I start to feel the pull of my usual, more serious concerns in fiction. Class struggle, institutionalized racism, complicated personal relationships. About 20 minutes into making my first page of notes on this idea, and I was off. Six months later, I had read up on leaf harvester ants, bee colonies, various theories about terraforming Mars, and I was halfway through Kim Stanley Robinson's Red Mars trilogy. I went to a bunch of derby bouts and talked to players. And as bits stuck to it, my idea grew from a silly Nancy Drew on Mars romp to a massive, world-spanning story touching on climate change, class conflict, and coming of age. I built a world in my mind, and eventually, with the help of my assistant Lydia Roberts, I drew it. It's now almost nine years later, and I'm finally close to finishing the book. Making this book has been an epic struggle, but it all stems from three prompts. Cheerful, spiked collar, X Games. And Trish isn't even really all that cheerful anymore. I paid attention to my attention, and I dove in, way, way in, eight years and two planets in. And let me say again, this is my taste. Someone else would see Roller Derby and Mars and be like, whatever, and keep walking. I mean, that person would clearly be nuts. But hey, different strokes. Learn to pay attention to what you pay attention to. It's so easy to dismiss it. You have to train yourself to grab onto those things and not let go. There's a story in Out on the Wire about this same process on a topic that's much closer to real life. As far back as 2005, Alex Bloomberg became curious about how all his very non-rich radio producer pals were buying houses. How are they getting mortgages? What was going on in the housing market? And I'd become sort of obsessed with all these websites that were talking about it. And I got totally obsessed with this one website called Calculated Risk. And early on in 2005, it's sort of a, a place where we're sort of skeptics about the housing bubble gathered. Alex worried that reading sites like Calculated Risk meant that he was just succumbing to alarmist internet rhetoric. He kept trying to pitch stories on the topic to This American Life, where he was a producer at the time, but nothing seemed to gel. He consulted his old friend, Adam Davidson, who was a business reporter. He would tell me, like, you know, all the people that I talk to say there's not really a problem as long as the models are right. Mm -hmm. You know, and he was like, but, you know, the models could be wrong, (laughs) you know. There was something about the subject that he couldn't let go of. And then, in the summer of 2007... Um, the first big subprime lender collapsed, mm-hmm. uh, which was a company called New Century, I think. And then a bunch of them collapsed after that. And then I remember Adam sending me this email saying, like, maybe it's the like, subprime story, huh? And I was like, I think it's still okay. The 2008 story they made to explain what had caused our economy to virtually collapse is called The Giant Pool of Money, and it's among the most listened to, talked about, important hours this American life has ever made. And that episode, and the reaction to it, is what inspired Adam and Alex to found the show Planet Money. What's important here is that the germ of the idea that eventually made Planet Money possible, this weird tingly feeling about mortgages, seemed like a total outlier when Alex started poking at it and developing it. And then it took four years to come to fruition. Sometimes that's just how it is. I know. My book La Perdida took six years. Another graphic novel, Life Sucks, also six years. A novel, which has never been published, five years. Drawing words and writing pictures and the sequel Mastering Comics, six years. 
out on the wire? Well, you could call it three years, or you could call it 16, if you count Radio and Illustrated Guide, the comic I did with Ira back in 1999. And the tales I could tell about how I struggled to make these works real. In fact, probably I will tell some of them. But it comes down to this. When I have a good idea, I grab on and I don't let go. I read and research, I write and I talk, and I keep building material until it clicks into place like Alex did with the story that became the giant pool of money. I also toss and cull and strike and annul. I have plenty of ideas that I don't like, but at the core, the ideas I chase are the ideas that I love. My works take years to come to fruition, and I need ideas that can fuel me for a long, long time. Like Ira says, your taste matters. And how do you know what your taste actually is? You have to listen to yourself, pay attention to what excites you, what you talk about, and then invest in it. Invest your time and your attention. And chances are, like if you're somebody who wants to make stories, the reason why you want to make them is because you love stories and you probably do have interesting taste. And that's kind of what's getting you into the game. Now, I'm telling you to trust your taste. But I know that that is a tough thing to do. It's really hard. You have to believe you have good ideas and that other people want to hear your ideas. You have to believe that or you can't make anything. You do have something to share. You have a point of view that's worth having. That's what Ira is saying in that tape. If you want to do this, it's because you're good at having good taste, which does not make you good at making stories. Only actually making a bunch of stories can make you good at that. Ira is also famous for talking about that. When I type Ira Glass into Google, the second suggested phrase is Ira Glass the Gap, which means this lo-fi video on YouTube of Ira talking to current TV about storytelling gets more searches on Google than his actual show. Not more listens, mind you, let's be clear, but this idea has definitely hit a nerve. All of us who do creative work, like, you know, we get into it. And we get into it because we have good taste. And you get into this thing that, that I don't even know how to describe, but it's like there's a gap. That for the first couple of years that you're making stuff, what you're making isn't so good, okay? It's not that great. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, your, your taste is still killer. And your taste is good enough that you can tell that what you're making is kind of a disappointment to you. You know what I mean? Like, you can tell that it's still sort of crappy, A lot of people never get past that phase. A lot of people at that point, they quit. Most everybody I know who does interesting creative work, they went through a phase of years where they had really good taste. They could tell what they were making wasn't as good as they wanted it to be. They knew it felt short. If you're just starting off and you're entering into that phase, you got to know it's totally normal. And the most important possible thing you could do is do a lot of work. Do a huge volume of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week or every month you know you're going to finish one story. Because it's only by actually going through a volume of work that you're actually going to ca- catch up and close that gap. And your the work you're making will be as good as your ambitions. Like, I took longer to figure out how to do this than anybody I've ever met. It takes a while. It's going to take you a while. It's normal to take a while. And you just have to fight your way through that. As soon as I decided to start this show with an episode on ideas, I knew I wanted to use the opportunity to circle back to Stephanie Fu, a radio wonderkind I first met while researching my book, Out on the Wire, at Snap Judgment in Oakland, California. Stephanie is one of the most engaged, ambitious, open-hearted producers I met, and she's also among the most productive. Stephanie is an ideas machine. 
She's crammed all 10,000 hours of deliberate practice of her craft into about three years. So I was not at all surprised when Ira snapped her up to work at This American Life last year. I asked Stephanie how she managed to find so many great stories. Well, I think that just being super curious um, as a person has helped me have a bunch of ideas because I just think everything is a story. You have to walk through the world assuming that you are surrounded by stories. And that is not the truth. And... (laughs) As I've come to become older, I've realized that fewer things are stories than I necessarily thought. But I think that it's a really valuable way to live, especially when you're first starting out, is to um, waltz through the world thinking literally everything is a story. Like this gargoyle on this building, what's the what's behind that? This person at this cocktail party in the corner, what are they about, you know? And so uh, especially when I first started out, I was just interviewing all of my friends, everyone I knew. I was uh, lying about being a journalist and calling random people who I just thought were – I remember like I thought the I can has cheeseburger meme was just so ridiculous. And I was like, I wonder why, how that guy came up with that. And so I just like called him and Wait, what do you him. mean you were pretending you were a journalist? I mean, I – was like, oh, I have a podcast that's uh, legit where I interview people about uh, their life goals or dreams or whatever. Um, I mean, I didn't. I mean, I did. I I had a podcast called Get Me on This American Life, (laughs) which wasn't really legitimate at all. But I, I, I lied and snuck my, got myself press passes into lots of things. I don't think that's lying. I think that's um, being, you know, brave, being ambitious. Yeah, sure. (laughs) <laughs> also a little bit sneaky. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe a little bit. Like, how? what level is your podcast at? I guess you didn't actually have to say that to anybody, right? No, no. I kept that a secret. I kept yeah. it a secret that my listenership was all of five. <laughs> um, but but pe- what I like to tell young producers that are starting out is um, don't get mad, get tape. Um, oh, that's a good one. The th- things that irritate you, the things that irk you uh, – the, the second you feel yourself getting irritated, like delve really deep into that and think, okay, why am I irritated right now? Do other people have the same experience that I do? Are other people as pissed as I am? I remember that um, I used to skateboard around a lot in San Francisco and guys would always holler at me and be like, kickflip. That was always that was always the holler. Kickflip. So original. Um, or be like, is that your boyfriend's skateboard? Uh, and I get so irritated. So I started carrying a recorder around. And, like, I would get hollered at every single time I skated. So I started recording all of these. Uh, Hollers. The things that these guys that were yelling at me. And then I started chasing down girls who I saw skating. I started noticing them. <laughs> and I'd run after them screaming, getting them to stop. And I'd interview them about their experience. Um, you know, yellow fever when I was dating and... I was encountering a lot of guys who dated exclusively Asian women, and I felt very threatened. I did a story on it, vocal fry, people writing in, complaining about it. It was very upsetting, and so we did a story on it, uh, And which is not to say write a rant and then read it into a microphone. It's about go out and find tape, explore why this phenomenon is happening, and find people who are going through the same thing, and find perspectives outside your own. You are a hunter for stories and you have to get out in the wilderness with your bow and arrow and like crawl through the brush. You can't just like sit at home in front of the TV. Like when I, when Snap didn't have any money, 
Um, if I wanted to go report on a story somewhere, say Texas, for example, I couldn't bring back one story. And so I told them, like, all right, you send me out. I'm going to bring back 10. But here's the thing. I didn't go out and, I was, and, and think, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to people in bars and that's how I'm going to find my stories. Like, no, I planned ahead a lot. You know, weeks before I went on my trip, um, I would um, do a ton of research. I'd read all the local newspapers and I'd read them, you know, not just the recent local news. I'd read them pretty far back. I'd email local bloggers and personalities to ask them if there were people interesting people that I should know that I should talk to I'd call all of the comedy clubs and I'd ask if anybody there specialized in long-form storytelling and I'd go record like four improv performers backstage before their show and have each of them tell me a story I'd call my friends and ask them if they have friends or friends of friends who live in the city and I'd call these random people and I'd say who's Who's interesting in this city? And then, yeah, there were also elements of, you know, I was driving in um, West Texas and there was this sign that said taxidermy that was like hanging off of one chain all broken and there was like a Ibex like in a tub of its own blood. And so I was like, yep, I'm going there. (laughs) Pull over, go and talk to some people, see what's going on, you know? I mean, yeah. Okay, so... I wondered if you had any feelings about how um, these kind of concepts of searching for ideas and, and following your taste and all that other stuff might apply like to a fiction writer, for example, or um, somebody who wants to write a nonfiction book or a Oh, filmmaker. it's exactly the same. Totally. It's exactly the same. You know, I do comics or I did. It's exactly, I used to apply all the same things when I did sort of autobiographical comics. You know, I used to do comics about dating and uh, uh, my friends. And if there were things that made me laugh or if there were things that made me pissed off, I would examine them through comics. And again, like I write a lot for myself. I don't necessarily publish any of it. I mean, sometimes like, you know, three years later, I'll be like, oh, this is actually what might be an interesting thing to explore more but um i constantly see beginnings of stories where i see stories on the news all the time where it's like it's not really a story nobody's really interviewed but it's like florida man does this and i'm always like oh my god that would make the best writing prompt florida yeah. man. and like why would florida man do that well and how about all those um story ideas that you have that you come up with that then like they don't turn into something in real life, so you can't do a reported story about it. Yeah, I mean, again, but it's you, like ha- you imagine fiction, it, right? right? Like you imagine yeah. your way through it, and you're like, "Well, if it were this, that would be awesome." I mean, yeah, I think that fiction is wishful thinking <laughs> in every aspect of that, in in terms of like your own life, um, it's it and other people's lives, wishful thinking about. Wouldn't it be interesting if <laughs> it's like it's that question that I was uh, I think and I think that like asking that same question that I was asking earlier is great for fiction, which is why would somebody do something like this? You sit there and you think and you just think like, why would somebody do something like this? What would their motivation be? And then I think that's how you get into some a character's head and that's how you start building a character. The key to writing um, fiction and screenplays in terms of character is like is conflict, just like it is with nonfiction, that you have to come up with what is the thing that's going to test that character and how are you going to make evident what, what they're all about? 
you know, yeah. ha- if you don't, if you can't make it evident through action or the results of action, it's not believable. Yeah, I'm lazy. That's why I do nonfiction. I like to uh, other people to just live their um, lives. Excuse for me, me, as somebody who just um, got done with three years of working on a book of nonfiction, there, I would I would like to assure you there is nothing <laughs> lazy about working on nonfiction. <laughs> That's true. That's true. How does it feel to be uh, the grown-up woman now working at This American Life? And what do you want to say to the girl, the skateboarding girl who is pretending to be a journalist, um, who had a, a podcast called Get Me on This American Life? I, would, I wouldn't talk to that girl because she always felt like it. She was excited. I would talk to the girl who uh, was at Snap Judgment producing five stories in a week and feeling like, she was going to her head was going to explode and that she was crazy and like not good at her job and i would just say you're in it this is what it this is what it takes this is what it takes to be good and it's working and you might not feel like it's working because you might be buried in a million stories and you might not be able to find your way out and the bosses might all be like arguing with you and everybody at work is might be a absolute chaotic mess um but that's what it takes that's what everybody goes through to become good getting completely messy get feeling completely lost is absolutely necessary to finding your way out and becoming good the german forest yeah the dark forest exactly getting completely lost and and uh yeah, just over and over and over again. Because each time you find different paths out. And so at a certain point, like, you can go almost anywhere and know how to find your way back. So it's kind of nice. That is freaking beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's great. That's amazing. Now here's this week's challenge. Wait, first, let me explain this whole concept a little further. Out on the Wire Season 1 is made up of nine primary episodes, each on a phase of creating a narrative. At the end of each of those episodes, there's a challenge designed to get you working on a narrative project of your own. In between the themed episodes, we recorded live workshop episodes featuring some of the best material from our listeners to explore the process of collaboration and critique. The episodes will build on one another, so that over the course of the season, you'll be moving forward with your story. The aim is you and all your fellow listeners can use this show as inspiration and concrete help to produce a work. Remember what Ira says about the gap. You have killer taste, but it's only through making the work that you will get as good as you need to be to make the story in your imagination come to life. But working on big stuff like this is super demanding. It's enormously helpful to have a support group, and more than that, specific, direct editorial help. I'll be talking a lot about collaboration in this show. It's the secret weapon of these great radio producers, and it's my secret weapon, too. That's where the Out on the Wire working group comes in. 
It's a group we set up where you can share your work and get feedback from other listeners, as well as discuss and get support for ongoing creative projects. You can find out more at jessicaabel.com slash podcast. So let's get started. For this week's challenge, I want you to come up with an idea for a narrative project. Okay, that's a tall order. After all, I've had over 15 years to think about out on the wire in one form or another. That's a long runway. But there are a lot of ways to quickly produce a list of 15 or 20 possibilities to pick from. I asked Jenna Weiss-Berman, who was then a student at the Transom Workshop, a program for future narrative radio producers, how they went about finding ideas quickly for their coursework. We were given a list of resources, like 50 places to find great stories. So, like... You know, like the weeklies around here, Craigslist. A lot of people have found their stories through Craigslist. This girl, Erica, she just looked up the pets section and found this guy who makes knives out of your pet's ashes. And he ended up being, like, having the most amazing story. And he's, like, totally in love with this woman. And now he's, like, she and she died at 37. They were engaged. And now he's making a knife with her ashes. And it's, like... It's turned out to be this amazing story. So So, try Craigslist. Get out of the house. Talk to friends. Talk to strangers. Eavesdrop in a cafe. Get a great story from a bartender. Get lucky on Google. And okay, this is a little scary, but why not take a look at your Google search history? What have you been searching for lately? You know, other than the usual things that people search for on Google. If you can't find anything off the bat, try juxtaposition like I did with Trish Trash. Cut random words out of newspaper headlines and combine them with random Instagram photos. Just whatever picture comes up in your stream. Write down whatever you come up with. No judgment. I'll even post the character prompts that I used to spark Trish Trash on our Google Plus group. But once you have a list of ideas, pay attention to your taste. Which idea starts turning your wheels? Which one is keeping you up at night thinking about it? Which one are you telling your friends about? When a random association or notion attached to that idea comes into your head, chase it down. You're going to need a notebook with you at all times. Research your idea by looking up related things online or by questioning your friends about it or by painting a picture. Get deep and start attaching information and inspiration to it. Your mission is to write up a one-paragraph description of your idea and post it on the working group. Do not ramble. Just tell us what's intriguing about this idea and what directions it's leading you in. What's starting to stick to it? Make as many notes as you can, but don't go further. In the next episode, we've got a bunch of tools to assess and strengthen your ideas. We'll poke some sharp sticks at them and see if they hold water. Oh, and name your medium. What are you intending to do with this idea? A fictional short story? A nonfiction brick of a book? A 10-page comic? A short video? Tell us what you intend to do. And by the way, if you're listening to this show and not producing a story, you are absolutely, totally welcome. If you want to follow along the adventure as a supporter, all the better. Join the Google community and feel free to help those who are working on projects with feedback and ideas. The more the merrier. I'll have show notes on this episode, including lots of Trish Trash art from the early stages until now, a link to Ira's Gap video, and a written reminder of this week's challenge on my site at jessicaable.com slash podcast. You can also get show notes emailed to you if you're on the newsletter. If you love Out on the Wire and want to support the show, check out the Out on the Wire bonus pack. In it, you get full music downloads from the show, 
and complete versions of our new interviews for the show, including an entire hour with Stephanie Fu, who you heard earlier in this episode, plus Jonathan Mitchell, Kazuki Buishi, Robert Smith, and more. It's a great way to spend more time with our awesome guests and to support the show at the same time. It's only $10 or more, if you're feeling generous, for over eight hours of bonus content. Find out more at jessicaable.com slash podcast. If you're enjoying this show, you will definitely want to check out my new book, Out on the Wire, The Storytelling Secrets of the New Masters of Radio, which covers the same ground, but differently and with a hell of a lot more pictures. So there's more about that at jessicaable.com slash out on the wire, all one word, out on the wire. Out on the Wire is produced by Benjamin Frisch with music by Matt Madden. Made with the support of La Maison des Auteurs, Angoulême. You can find me on Twitter at JCCAble. Benjamin is at Benjamin Frisch. That's F-R-I-S-C-H. See you next time with our first workshop episode where Matt Madden, Benjamin Frisch, and I discuss great project ideas from our listeners. And then we'll be back with episode two, Focus. Focus.